We're starting a new series this morning. I'm, I'm excited about the, the series. It's called Many Parts, One Story. You know, one of my frustrations with the, the church today and, and just preaching in general, well, first and foremost, is a lot of preaching isn't even really biblical-based, but that's kind of another, another story. Um, but, but what I'm talking about today in, in the series, and, and I would say this is applicable to myself and even people who are more, much more biblically-based preachers, is um, sometimes, like, we're so fragmentary in, in how we preach that... that we don't really do a, a good job communicating the whole story of the Bible. We might do sermon, certain sermon series. We might even like last, last four weeks, we did the book of Jonah. I mean, these are all parts of the Bible. But when we just talk a little bit here from this book, a little bit there from that book, a little bit, it's not all tied together. And the Bible is made up of, of thousands of individual stories. But those individual stories are, are interconnected together to make up the story. And so over the next 11 weeks, I'm going to be marching us from the beginning of the Bible to the end. So it's not going to be very detailed per se, but it's going to be 11 different weeks that my hope is that by the time I'm done with this, you'll have a greater understanding of the whole story and how God has worked from the beginning to the, to the current time to the future when he returns in its one complete story that makes sense together. Uh, this morning, we're going to start at the very beginning of it all. Um, in fact, the book is called The Beginning. You know of it as the book of Genesis. Uh, but that literally means the, the beginning of, uh, of things, the, the origin of things. Now, one of the things that you have to understand is this. When we say Genesis, the beginning, is that the beginning of all things? And the answer to that is no, it's not. What Genesis is, is it's a record of us, of what God is doing as he creates the physical universe as we can observe it, know it, and understand it. It's not the beginning of God. God has no beginning. He's, he's eternal. And so Genesis in the Bible doesn't give us a lot of insight into what God was doing before he created the physical universe that you and I interact with. And, and honestly, it's not even a, a recording of, of what God has done in the spiritual realm, because when we consider the angels, uh, Genesis, this book of beginnings, doesn't address that. In fact, we don't know when it was that, that God even created the, the, the angelic realm, but we do know from Scripture that it actually happened before what we're seeing here in the book of Genesis. How do we know that? Well, I'm going to share with you a passage from the book of Job. Most of you know the, the story of Job. Um, Job was uh, an individual that suffered all these great afflictions. And for the most part, he did a good job like enduring it without really complaining to God about it. But he does start complaining a little bit. And, uh, and towards the end of the book, God kind of... Uh, explains himself to Job, even though God says he owes him no explanation. But look at what, what God says to Job uh, as it's recorded in Job 38, 4 to 7. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? 
while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. So what we see here is as God is forming the earth, as we're having a record in the book of Genesis of God's creation of the physical universe, the angels are observing that. And they're shouting for joy. So it predates what is recorded for us in Genesis. And look at Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. It says this, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, in fact, ten, ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne of the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. What Revelation 5 shows us is that one of the functions of the angels is they, they worship and praise God. They do it continuously. So we know from Job that, that they're watching in awe of what God's doing as he's creating the physical universe. But, and we also know that, that they, they're praising God. So like, when did God create them? I mean, how long was it before our creation that they were created? One, we don't know. And two, like you can't even phrase a question that way. Because time is created as part of the physical universe, something that, that governs our days, our, our weeks, our times, our seasons, and so forth. And, and that's not part of God's reality. Look at 2 Peter 3.8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. For with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. So you see, time doesn't exist. So to even say what happens before Genesis and when it does, it, 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 it's just hard to even speak in those terms. So is everything that I'm going to build on for the next 11 weeks is built on the book of Genesis. And so we have to get a couple things straight. First, what I've been emphasizing, it is a record of God's creation of the physical universe. It does not address the spiritual realm. It doesn't address angels in, in, in the heavenly council. The second thing you need to understand is when we look at Genesis, don't treat it like a scientific manual. Genesis is not a scientific manual. It's like a 30,000-foot view of what God's doing as he's... he's painting the picture of his work uh, across humanity, right? It's, it's not meant to give us every last detail of how God did this or how he did that. It's not a scientific manual. And the third thing that we got to be careful not to do when we look at the book of Genesis is you got to be really caref careful not to add anything to it or to take anything away from it. And we're tempted to do this because, because God's not giving us every last detail, what we're trying to do is we're trying to fill in the gaps, right? so that it, it makes more sense. When, when we try to reconcile evolution with, with creation, you know, we'll add a little bit this, say this didn't mean that, take a little bit away of that. You can't do that. In general, God's not a huge fan if you add to his word or take away from his word, so let's not do either. 
Let's just simply say what Genesis says. Now, before we get any further into this and before we look at the Genesis account, let's reflect upon what God actually did in Genesis 1 because I don't think any of us in here have a clue. We don't have a clue. Because when you read Genesis 1, you think of of creation and the parts of it in which you can observe. What we tend to think of is like the, the, the neighborhood in which we live. Listen, that's part of God's creation and it's an amazing and beautiful part. We, we think of the city, and maybe, maybe a couple times a year, you might even take a trip down to San Antonio or, or to Galveston, somewhere you know, farther away in the state. So when we think of God's creation, listen, in the state of Texas, there's some really beautiful places, and, and it's, it can be just awe-inspiring and amazing to, to consider God's work in, in Texas. Maybe once a year, you'll take a trip to see family or a vacation somewhere else in the country, and, and we, we experience Genesis 1 in the of what God's created, especially in some amazing places across this country. Maybe some of you have been blessed enough that you've been able to go to other countries and and to Europe or to, you know, whatever places around the world. And and, and it's it's truly amazing. But so much more is going on in Genesis 1 than anything that we we observe in our lives, that if we're going to fully understand who God is, and what Genesis 1 is, we've got to understand everything that God created when he called things into existence. And so I've got a little video to help us understand that. Let us travel now at the speed of light, departing from our home star on a trip across the cosmos toward the edge of the known universe. Our imaginary journey begins at midnight on January 1st, when we prepare to launch into space at the speed of 186,000 miles per second. We quickly pass the orbits of Mercury, Venus, and span the 93 million miles that separate the Earth from the Sun in just 8 minutes 19 seconds. We continue on, passing Mars. Then the gas giant planets, Jupiter. Saturn. Uranus. Neptune. Finally, after five hours and 31 minutes, we race past Pluto and its companion moon. Our journey has taken us more than three and a half billion miles to the outer limits of our solar system. And it's still January 1st. Now we alter our flight path and travel in a direction perpendicular to our galaxy. Behind us, the nine planets and the sun quickly vanish from sight. The emptiness of space is broken only by the light of stars so distant they do not yet appear to move. A year passes, then two years, three, four years. Finally, on April 19th of the fifth year, we reach Alpha Centauri 
the nearest star to our solar system. We have traveled more than 25 trillion miles, and our journey has scarcely begun. We are now 10 light years from the sun, far enough out in space that the stars within our galaxy appear to converge. 100 light years from the sun, patterns of gas and nebulous material from the arms of the Milky Way fill our view. 1,000 light years. The galaxy's arms and disk become more defined. Yet it is not until we have traveled at the speed of light for 100,000 years that the entire spiral shape of the Milky Way is recognizable. From here on, each point of light we see is no longer an individual star, but an entire galaxy composed of billions of stars. Five million years after beginning our journey, the Milky Way is seen as part of a cluster of about 30 galaxies, known as the local group. Fifty million light years out, we encounter the large Virgo cluster, containing more than 2,000 galaxies. And so it goes, as our travels continue to take us deeper into the cosmos. We pass cluster after galactic cluster, each a building block of a far greater framework. A billion years pass. Five billion. Finally, after 10 billion years, we decelerate and pause to observe a theoretical view of the universe's large-scale structure. Countless billions of galaxies are now seen to comprise chains, masses, and thread-like structures that stretch across the cosmos, separated by enormous regions of empty space. It is a spectacular tapestry, so vast and diverse in its design, that the power of its creator must truly surpass all human understanding. So that you can appreciate how much distance the speed of light is, at the speed of light, you can circle the Earth seven times in a second. Seven times in a second. That's how fast the speed of light is. It takes 100,000 years moving that fast before you can even see our galaxy in its fullest. It takes 10 billion years before you can see what is the observable part of the universe at this point. It's what our ability to see out 10 billion years it would take to be able to get to the end of that. There are more stars in our galaxy than all of the sand on the beaches 
across the world. If you take all the beaches across this globe and you counted all of the sand, there's actually more stars than that in just our galaxy. And it appears that there are billions and trillions of galaxies. Why do I tell you that? Because none of us can conceive of how vast that is. And if we can't conceive how vast God's creation is, how can you understand who the creator is? The creation is less than the creator. God is greater than that which he created. And if we can't fathom the creation, and who can fathom trillions of galaxies? If we can't fathom the creation, you can't fathom the creator. And all the times, you know, as pastors or as teachers or as Bible students, we think we know God. We think we understand God. When your mind gets bent by what you just saw, we can't have a clue. Because once again, if you don't understand the creation, you cannot understand that which is greater, the creator. And so we approach God with this amazing sense of awe because it's a whole lot more than just our neighborhood, than the state of Texas, than the United States in the world in which we see. When he spoke things into existence, he spoke all of that into existence. And so that's why we see what the psalmist says in Psalm 8, 3 to 5. He says this, when I consider your heavens... When I consider the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you have set into place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? What are human beings that you care for them? <clears throat> because you've made them just a little lower than the angels and you've crowned them with glory and honor. So let's turn our attention now to the creation account as it is in Genesis chapter 1. And as I'm reading it, don't understand it just from what we're able to observe from our present location, but think of it in terms of everything we just saw in that video. We're going to read the whole thing, Genesis 1, verses 1 to 31. Now, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and it was empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault, and he separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so and God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear, and it was so. And God called the dry ground land and he gathered, gathered the waters that he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees trees on the land that would bear fruit and seed in it, according to the various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, trees bearing fruit 
with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate day from night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them, be, let them be lights in the vaults of the sky to give light on earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. And God set them in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the creatures of the sea and every living thing which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds. Every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. And God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with it, with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I will give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, in the sixth day. Now, the first thing that I want to mention as we look at this account is this, that if you notice at pretty much the end of everything that God is creating, what he says, what he declares is it is good. What he doesn't say is it's fixing to be. If you're from... Texas, or you've lived here for a while, uh, Texas has this unique way of saying something that's not quite yet, and that's fixing. I'm, I'm fixing to do this. I'm fixing to mow the lawn. I'm fixing, right? It's not done yet, but soon enough, it's going to be done. God, when he creates, he's not fixing to make it good. It's already good. If, if I was going to make a bookshelf, it's not immediately good. First, I've got to go down to Home Depot and I'm going to have to buy the boards and, and I'm going to have to buy the nails or screws. I'm going to have to buy sandpaper and stain and so forth. And as I throw all those materials in the back of my truck, I can assure you it ain't good. 
And then I'm going to unload it in my garage and I'm going to begin to mark dimensions off and, and, and then I'm going to start making some cuts. And, and, and at that point, sawdust everywhere, it's not good. It might be fixing to be good, but it's still not good. And then I'll start assembling it and as I assemble it, it's still not good. It's only after I assemble it and I sand it and I finish. If I did it all right, then okay, maybe it's good. That's not how God does it. He calls things into existence. He speaks it into existence in its already good form. There's this appearance of age in which God creates because he's not creating it fixing to be good. He's creating it good. If God created these galaxies and these stars and it's taken about 25 billion years for the light to get here, that's great that he did, did that, but it's not good in that moment. It would be fixing to be good in about 25 billion years. Because what good is it if you can't see it from Earth? But he created it maturely with the light already here. He created it good, not fixing to be good. And then when God created the ground, it's, if all he did is created rocks, how good would that be? If it takes 50 million years for, for rain and, and wind and the sea to, to create soil that you can plant and, and grow things, then when he creates ground, it ain't good. It's fixing to be good. It's fixing to be good in about 50 million years. But the, the, God didn't create it fixing to be good. He created it good. When he creates trees, if he creates it as a seed that goes in the ground or a little sapling, that ain't good. It's fixing to be good in about five years. It ain't good then. But he, when he creates it, he declares it good. So it's already in its mature state. When God creates animals and, and humans, if he created them young as in babies, I mean, that's not good. Have you ever seen a, 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 a baby scramble eggs? Have you ever seen a baby like walk a mile to get some water from the spring? No, that, that, that isn't going to happen. That, that's not good. I have to tell you from like the time that I was created, it, it took about 20 years before I became good. And it only took about 10 more years beyond that, that it's not so good anymore, right? There's a narrow window of goodness in which God creates, God creates some uh, things maturely in their perfect state. And, and so as we try to reconcile things with evolution, what you got to understand is it's not a scientist's role to say God calls things into existence good. It's a scientist's role to say, well, it takes light this long to travel. It takes soil this long to break down. It, it, that's their job. So they're going to have to have immense amounts of time because in their mind, God didn't create it. Somehow this stuff started. And even once it starts, it takes a whole long time for it to become good. But that is not how God does it. He speaks it into existence. It's in its mature state. It's in its, its, its perfect state, his, its most functional state, because it is good. And did you notice the very subtle changing in wording at the end of that creation account that I read to you? This is why we got to read the scripture, right? I mean, there, it's even in the subtleness of certain words that, that have great meaning. Look at Genesis 131. God saw all that he had made and it was not good, but it was very good. At each day of creation, it's good, but it's not very good. 
it's not very good if there's not a sun shining. It's not very good if, if, if there's not water. It's not very good if there's not land. It's not very good if there's not animals on that land. And, and what's interesting is it isn't until man is created, the crown of creation, that it's, it's very good. But it's not just even man. Man is the crown of creation. But all that God creates is like intricately connected in a system like the human body, right? The organs depend on, on certain parts of the body. You got blood flow, you got cells, you, get, you got the brain, you got the spinal cord. You have all of these different functions that work together to create some amazingly good thing that even scientists can't even imagine, like the intricacies of putting such a thing together. That's how creation is. But the most important part of it is the creation of mankind. And after mankind, it's not just good, but it's very good. Because how good would the creation be if you don't have mankind? Who's going to mow the yard? Who's going to tend the garden? Who's going to keep the animals from like doing whatever the animals are going to do or, or, or thinning them out if there becomes too many or all these different things? Man is the, 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 the pinnacle of creation it is what ultimately makes it very good with everything working together as God had intended it to be. If we understood that like creation was not very good until God creates us, I wonder how many of us that struggle with our own self-esteem, how many of us who struggle with depression, if we, if we could wrap our minds around a God who created billions and trillions of, of galaxies in this universe, and even that's not good until he puts mankind there, then it becomes very good, then maybe we would have a different view of ourselves. Another thing that is worth pointing out in this creation account is um, mention of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I, I don't want to talk too much about this because this is going to be next week's topic as I talk about the fall. But in Genesis 1, we have a, a somewhat detailed creation account. Day one, God did this. Day two, God did this. Day three, God did this. In Genesis 2, we get a creation account that in some ways is more specific on some things, but in other ways, it, it, it's, 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 it's much more general. But one of the specifics that we hear in Genesis 2 that we didn't hear in Genesis 1 is God creates a couple of very interesting trees in the middle of the garden where mankind's going to live. Look at Genesis 2, 8 to 9. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put man that he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden where the tree of life in the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Remember, when God created the earth, not only is it good, but it's very good. And part of that very good is the fact that there is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil there. And I think we like to think that's some sort of evil tree, like somehow Satan planted that tree. You know, it's a tree of temptation type thing. And, and, and none of that is true. Genesis doesn't speak of it that way. We're not told that, you know, Satan had any part in the creation process. Uh, we're not told that that tree was there by mistake or, or, or that Satan had any kind of role in that. So we're left to have to accept that part of the very goodness of God's creation was that there was this tree of, of ultimately obedience to God. And I'll be talking much more about that next week. Two last things before we're done this morning. Some of you get a lot of lettuce heartburn. And I need to talk about that. 
Now, I'm not talking about like the leafy vegetable. There's a passage here in Genesis 1 that I have to tell you, like, every time I teach this in a Bible class or preach on it, everyone wants to know, what is this let us in here? Not let us, is, okay, let us. Look at Genesis 1.26. And then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. This passage gives some serious heartburn to people. Pastor Greg, who's this let us? And, and there's two, I would say, mainstream understandings of, of what this refers to. I, I said we would do well not to add to anything Genesis says or take away from what it says. And, and so part of me doesn't like to even speculate, but, but I, I know you want to know, and I know it creates questions. So let me give two solutions that neither of them seem to violate the, the integrity of Scripture itself. The, the first understanding is this. People will be quick to say, well, that's God speaking to himself. Like, there's God is one, but he's a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So they're, they're like having a conversation amongst themselves. Let us make man in our own image. I do not like that. I don't like that at all because I don't think it's very flattering that God talks to himself. I, I, I mean, I understand there's three persons of the Trinity, but yet I'm a very strong believer God is one. And if I hear you talking to yourself, I'm not going to think real fondly of you either. It could be. I can't rule it out. There's a lot of people who believe that, okay? I, I think option number two is a much better scenario. And option number two says that God is speaking to the heavenly realm, the spiritual realm, the heavenly council, the angels, and, and all those things that we don't hear being created in, in Genesis. And, and that's who he's saying, let us. Um, because remember, the angels are already around even at the time that God's laying the foundations of the earth and, and they're marveling over it. And if you think about it, like he's not, he's not asking them for their permission. Let, let's move my family back 12 years or so or whatever, how many years. And, and I might say to my kids, you know, let's go to Buffalo this Christmas. Now, I don't say let us go to Buffalo this Christmas. That would be weird. But I say let's. Do you know what let's is? It's a contraction for let us. Okay? Same thing. And when I say to my family, let us, let's go to Buffalo this Christmas. Uh, it's not really the place of my seven-year-old to say, I don't think so. I'm not going to be looking for my middle child at age nine, if we go back in time, to help pay for the trip. I'm not looking for my oldest child at that time, let's say 11 or 12, to help drive. I'm just simply declaring let's do this, and by the way, we're going to do it. But people are like, but it says, let us make man in our image. Well, okay, let's think about that. The scripture says that man has been made a little bit lower than the angels. And mankind has been made in the image of God. Now, if man has been made in the image of God, 
but we're lower than the angels. And you know what? The angels, even though we're not told about how they're made, they probably represent the image of God just a little bit more than we do because we're beneath them. So for God to declare, because it says that after that, it says he just did it, but for God to say, let us make man in our image, he's declaring it to whoever's around him still at that time. Or you can think that he's talking to himself, whichever. The last thing that I want to say is, what's cool when we look at this is we can see the Trinity in creation. All three persons of the Trinity are there. We, we understand the church has always understood that as God is speaking things into existence, that's God the Father saying, let there be, let there be, let there be. That is God the Father. But did you pick up what was happening in Genesis 1-2? When the earth was still formless and when it was empty, while darkness was over the surface of the deep, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. So we see that God the Spirit is present, even as God the Father is speaking. And then, like I said, listen, the Bible's made up of a thousands and different stories, but they, they make up or a thousand different stories, but, but these many parts make up one story. When we go into the New Testament, we actually see that Jesus is there. John tells us that. Look at John 1, 1 to 3. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Not only was the Word with God, but the Word was God. Now, who's the Word? Well, he's going to get there. But, but we know that in the beginning, that is Genesis, this creation account, there, there, there's the word. And that word is not only with God, but that word is actually God. It says, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Now, without him, nothing was made that has been made. He still hasn't told us who the word is, but whoever the word is, like he's there with God in the beginning, nothing's made without him. He's not only with God, but he is God. Oh, look at verse 14. The word becomes flesh and he made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So in this creation event of Genesis, we see the fullness of who God is there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now listen, I know I've thrown a lot at you this morning, but this is foundational to how we understand who God is. It's foundational to who, how we understand who we are. It's foundational to the entire story that's still to come as, as we look at the whole story of the Bible over these next 11 weeks. But this is, this is what I want you to be re reflecting upon this week. I want you to reflect upon how crazy it is that there's literally billions and trillions of galaxies in this Genesis 1 event being called into existence. And we're told by scripture that we are the crown of the creation, that God has created this for us. Who are we that, that God would do all of that for us? And as we wrestle with that, as we're in awe, as we're humbled by the fact that God would create all of that for us, then when we get a little bit further in the story and consider that God was willing to die for us, we get a better understanding why. Because if he was willing to create all of this for us, so much more so then is he willing to give up his very own life for us. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious Almighty God, we just thank and praise you for this morning to be able to start this series, 
to look at the creation of all things. I just pray, merciful God, that when we read your word, we wouldn't add to it and that we wouldn't take away from it. I, I pray that because of outside influences of, of the people that want to pollute our minds by giving us contrary and contradictory ways of viewing and, and seeing how uh, this world came to be, help us, gracious God, to, um, to not surrender to those thoughts and to those ideas but by faith to hold firm and true to what it is that you've told us. I just pray that you'd be with us during this study and during this series, that we, might, that we might, even though you're beyond comprehension, that we might just know you a little bit better, that we might know ourselves a little bit better, and that we might understand the wholeness of the Bible a little bit better. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.